The Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. I invite you to be seated. It's a very long reading. This is the story of Jesus healing the man born blind. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's work might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is, not the man who, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, How, then how, were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought the Pharisee. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly blind. Now it was Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put mud on my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked him, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that he now sees. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So for a second time they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him, saying, You are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken through Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. 
If this man were not from God, could he, he, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born entirely in sins, and you're trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we give thanks for this beautiful morning and for this journey of Lent and life that we are on together. We thank you for all the ways that you nourish us in our baptisms, at the communion table, in your word, and through one another. May we receive what you would have us to hear and be and do this day. In Jesus' name, amen. In my Bible, the title of our gospel reading for today is Healing of a Man Born Blind. But it might better be called Village Erupts into Religious Controversy. Because this story is just as much about the people in the village as it is the blind man himself, maybe even more so. Because only the first seven verses of this long story have to do with the blind man's healing. The other 34 are the reactions of the townspeople. The healing itself is amazing, but the heart of the story is a great controversy that ensues. And it all begins when Jesus and the disciples come upon this man born blind. And the disciples ask Jesus whether he is blind because of his sin, a common belief at that time that one's compromised physical condition reflected an inner spiritual corruption. Jesus tells them that the man is born blind so that God's work might be revealed in him. And then he spits on the ground and rubs mud into the blind man's eyes, tells him to go wash in the pool of water, and he does, and when he returns, he can see he's healed. Then the neighbors enter the story, and you'll notice they don't celebrate his healing. They don't congratulate him, as you would think. Instead, they interrogate him. Are you the same guy that was begging on the street earlier today? How is it that you can see? Where is the man who did this? There was no wonder, no joy, no celebration, only suspicion, alarm, apprehension, and the pursuit of cold, hard facts. Perplexed, they refer the case to the religious leaders of the town, the Pharisees, who start in with even more questions. How did this happen? What do you say about him? Are you sure that you were blind? Let's ask your parents. And in the course of their investigation, the Pharisees established two very important facts. First, this man was indeed born blind from birth, as frightened parents will admit to even that much. And therefore, as it was commonly believed, this man was a sinner. And second, Jesus did this healing on the Sabbath, a day on which it was forbidden to do any work at all, even healing someone. Therefore, Jesus was a sinner for breaking the law. 
And so they could not and would not accept the blind man's story because sinners like Jesus should not be able to heal people, and sinners like the blind man didn't deserve the healing. In the end, the Pharisees could not accept the story and drove the formerly blind man out of town. One commentator points out the the problems with the Pharisees and the mob that formed around them was that they were so sure of everything, that God did not work on the Sabbath, that Moses was God's only spokesperson, that anyone born blind had to be a sinner and ditto for anyone who broke the Sabbath, that God did not work through sinners, that God did not work on sinners, and that furthermore, no one could teach them about anything. They had scripture, tradition, and the religious law, which they believed told them exactly how God was revealed and exactly how God would act. Their certainty made them blind to seeing God in their midst and recognizing God's handiwork in its healing. It prevented them from seeing the miracle because they would not believe that God would appear and act in such a new and different way that God would transgress and violate the law and do it all for a lowly sinner, a blind man, a beggar. So this story was not so much about the man's blindness as the collective blindness to God's boundary-breaking healing power in their midst. And God continues to act in ways that challenge us and defy our expectations today, that defies all the rules and the boxes and the formulas that we like to apply to God. And Jesus did this constantly throughout the Gospels. You know, he was the Messiah, he was God, and yet he was born in a stable. He consorted like, with sinners like the blind man. As we saw last week, he talked to a Samaritan woman, something that was just not done. Next week, he will cry at the grave of his friend Lazarus. On Palm Sunday, he'll ride triumphantly into Jerusalem on a mule all of which will lead to the place where Jesus surprised the world the most and still surprises us, the cross, where he, where God, died like a common criminal. The cross, which is our destination in the season of Lent, is God's great surprise. It was, in Jesus' time, an instrument of death, torture, and terror. The cross was the one place that you would never, ever expect to find God the place of abject weakness that became the symbol of God's power of love. The cross is God's love song to creation and humanity. He completely transformed something so sinister and so ugly so that now it's something that adorns us around our necks or that we hang in our homes or put above our doors. When we look at these crosses, we remember how God surprises us and shatters our expectations of where we find God and how we expect God to act next in our lives. Of course, we expect to see God at Easter. God is supposed to be clothed in majesty and enter to the sound of a brass ensemble. However, we don't usually expect to find God sitting down to dinner with friends and sinners, washing their feet, God being betrayed and on trial, beaten and crucified, and buried. And I wonder, where would it be surprising for us to find God in our lives now? Where would it be surprising to find God in our life? 
maybe at your desk or in an enemy or competitor, in your car, on your commute, in a difficult student or teacher, a challenging colleague, amidst a diagnosis or sleepless nights, maybe even a church? Where's the least likely place that you can imagine God to be? The cross tells us that God is there. What are the rules that we place on God? Our expectations about how God can and can't, how God will and won't act. Where does our certainty get in the way of our seeing? I think most days we suffer from a certain kind of blindness. The blindness to seeing God in the most unlikely, unattractive, and unappealing places in our lives and in our world. Or we become so focused in one narrow thing that we can't see the breadth of what God is up to. But it is the cross that heals us of our blindness. It allows us to see things in new ways, to see things as they are, to see that all things belong to God, and to see God in all things, including ourselves and others. Reminds me of the scripture in Isaiah 43, I am about to do a new thing, says God. Do you not perceive it? And the verse, all things are possible with God. The invitation for this morning, this season, this life, is to risk the journey of the man born blind. Jesus asks us to put aside our old ways of knowing and seeing and to see the world and ourselves instead through the eyes of God. What will we see and how we will be changed will remain a mystery to us until we actually dare to try until we put our own blindness completely into the healing hands of the one who says, I am the light of the world. When we do, may we, along with the blind man, say, one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Amen.